I'm Kristen Kelly, and this is Mom School. I'm Jen Schwartz. I am a mom to a seven-year-old named Mason and an almost 12-year-old dog named Harry Potter. (laughs) Um, I did not know that that was your dog's name. We call him Potter, but his name is Harry Potter. So I'm a postpartum depression and anxiety survivor. I had postpartum depression and anxiety when Mason was born almost seven and a half years ago. And it was something that completely blindsided me and I was completely clueless about. And it's really, I guess, in many ways forged my identity as a mom and a woman and the person I am now. I was a teacher before I had Mason. I taught middle and high school English, which many people don't know about me. (laughs) See, I hate that I didn't know that about you because all we talk about is mom shit. But I love knowing what you did before mom shit. And I don't, right, I don't talk about it a ton, but I was an English teacher, um, middle school, high school, so seventh grade and ninth grade. And I stopped when I had Mason. So I stopped in the middle of my maternity leave knowing I wasn't going back because fortunately I didn't have to. In my head, and I think this is one of the major reasons why I got postpartum depression, is in my head, I was leaving teaching to become a mother, which was what I was born to do as a woman. And it was going to be like my greatest calling, my greatest achievement. I was born for it. I was going to just transform into this domestic goddess and breastfeeding champ and cart mason everywhere and like coo and float on air and tell everybody this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me and you're smiling at me because it's true i call it my cinderella moment it was going to be my cinderella moment and what's so funny about it is that people who know me really well and from college and things like that were like jen you were never breastfeeding you're not a domestic you know what i mean like i was none of those things before motherhood and was totally fine with it also, I was going to, you know, master Pinterest, right? And all of those of things. Of course. So was, was fairly, Pinterest was fairly new when I became a mom. None of those things happened. And I didn't know that motherhood was any other way than that Cinderella moment because of what I saw online and social media and who I talked to. I had several friends who were mothers, but no one in my close circle had a postpartum mental health illness that I knew about. I even had a friend who had a baby six months before me. And out of nowhere, she just says, I was eight months pregnant. Jen, are you worried about any postpartum depression stuff? And I literally replied, that would never happen to me. Oh my God. And I think I answered that twofold. One, I don't think I really understood what postpartum depression was. And I was really excited to become a mom and have a baby. And I think in my head, postpartum depression, we can talk more about this later. But I thought that just meant like you wanted to hurt yourself or your baby. And that's not what it is. That's only one type of mental illness. um, And it's rare. And I had tons of helplines up in the sense that I had a supportive husband and family. I had a baby nurse scheduled. I knew I was going to have part-time help after that because we don't live near our moms. So in my eyes, none of that could happen to me. And no doctor ever mentioned maternal mental health to me. No one ever talked to me about, well, how are you going to take care of you after the baby? You might not like motherhood after the baby. It might take you time to bond. Breastfeeding is hard, all these things. So I was fine in the hospital, happy mom. The breastfeeding was really easy after I gave birth, but then he just wouldn't latch a lot. And I should also say I labored for 24 hours, pushed for two, and then had a C-section. Oh, for Um, fuck's sake. 
Exactly. And that's a risk, you know, a long labor like that is a risk factor, which I didn't know risk factors were even a thing. And we talked about that too, right? Nobody gives you a sheet of paper and just says, here, just so you know, these are risk factors that may make you a little bit more prone to depression and anxiety when your baby comes. And I filled out the scales, you know, when I left the hospital, all one, Mm -hmm. super happy. And the day after I got home from the hospital, there was no Cinderella moment. You know, there was no magical bliss, love, all of that. I couldn't get in bed and I never wanted to get in bed ever again. I couldn't stop crying. I wanted nothing to do with Mason. I quit breastfeeding after five days and I barely left the house unless I was forced to for six months. I just, you know, went into this dark hole and like my mom was staying with us and she'll tell you that she watched the light go out behind my eyes. Like she physically saw it happen. And I like telling people that because I feel like we all remember that happening in a way, right? Like I have a therapist friend and we joke, but it's not really a joke. But like if you lined photos up of all of us who had some form of this, our eyes all look the same in pictures. Yes. And so that was my experience. Oh, and I also should mention when I did leave the house for therapy appointments, that was like the one time a week that I actually liked leaving the house to go sit on my therapist's red couch. And I started antidepressants for the very first time ever. I'd never taken antidepressants before. So this was a whole new thing. And in my head, I was failing at what every other woman on the planet was doing so well, because I didn't know anything about postpartum depression or anxiety or any of the other pregnancy or postpartum mental health illnesses, which is funny because we know the statistics now, obviously, on being on the other side of it and talking to women all the time going through it. But I thought I was the only mother on the planet suffering the only one, which is so crazy because now I know so many women who have kids around Mason's age and we were all suffering at the same time. And how great would it have been if we like somehow knew each other and we could have gone through it together. You feel so alone and you don't know what's going on. And if you don't know about postpartum depression or anxiety or any of these other ones, because it's not just depression, you just feel like you're failing. And who wants to tell anybody Right. That they're failing at something. At, that's at motherhood, which is the exactly. one thing that we are supposed to naturally do well. You exactly. say so many things that hit home with me. I swear to God, I get chills like all the time. I'm an empath, as I tell my husband, and I'm just an emotional person. But I swear to God, I got chills like five times as you were talking. Aww. The Cinderella moment, I identify with so much. And what's interesting on my side is... I had depression, bad depression before and anxiety where it was like the way I describe it to my husband or anybody that doesn't understand mental health. It's like, I felt like I was drunk and I was trying to like tie my shoe or something. It was like, I know I'm not myself, but I can't snap out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I hate that it's called depression because sometimes people just think, oh, she's in a bad mood. She's just tired. She's stressed. She's moping around. It's not a mood. It's a disease. It takes over your being. Like you say, the light went out from behind your eyes. I can relate to that so much. It's like a flip just went off. Right. And I was like really sick. So tell me you came home from the hospital. You said you quit breastfeeding after five days. I think I quit after four days. So I hear you with that. It was such a drain. And when your brain's been hijacked, which is what I felt like, yes, there was no chance I was going to be able to feed that baby. It was five pounds every hour on the hour. What did you feel like 
when you came home from the hospital? So when I came home from the hospital, I think part of it is you're still, I don't know if it's like an adrenaline rush or like, it really hasn't hit you in a way that like, oh, I'm a parent yes, and I'm responsible for this tiny human because the hospital is like a vacation. You realize, you know, in, a, in many ways when we could have stayed an extra day and I'm like, no, let's go home. And then I oh get, my like, God, I tell everyone day. now use the nursery when you're in the hospital, right? Use the nursery stay. And I sent Mason to the nursery and I supplemented in the hospital with formula. I always knew I was going to supplement also, but I wanted to sleep. So I think when I got home, I was tired, but also I don't think things really hit you until maybe even that first night where you really are waking up every three hours. And like I said, we had a baby nurse. She wasn't coming for three more days. So we were waking up and I was not doing well with it. And also too, I should mention that my entire family was here. And I don't mean just my parents and my husband's parents. I mean, our entire family, because my due date was the first night of Passover in 2013. And Passover is a big deal in my husband's family. Like we usually go to New York for it, but it was my due date. So everybody came to Charlotte, like my mother-in-law and his grandparents, they drove down because they didn't want to bring the Seder plate on the plane because they have this big silver Seder plate that they rescued from Europe after. Oh my gosh. Like they went back. That's it's beautiful. Cool. It's, it is. It's a beautiful thing, but pastor, like they go back. But that's a lot after. of, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot so of energy to have. In your and home. They, again, we were the first to get, have a baby. I didn't know any better. Right. So I went into labor at the Seder table in front of 30 of my closest Jewish family members. No joke. Literally like, like, an entrance, like moving Mason. the kugel around with my fork and death gripping my sister's hand under the table because I'm having contractions <laughs> and also timing them like on an iPhone and they're not regular. They never hit that like 10, five, whatever it is. Right. And I have two friends I'm on a group text with who are already moms. And one of them is like, Jen, call the fucking doctor, go to the fucking hospital. So we had a lot of people around. I think that wasn't helpful either because I felt this pressure to not be like, I hate this or just want to be in my bed and sleep all day. And then the brisk comes oh my God. a few days later and I had 150 people at my brisk because- 150 people, it's like about a wedding. 150 people, exactly. Jen. Again, didn't know better. I was, But this is such a good thing to talk about yeah. and point out as mothers, especially as new mothers, we feel this pressure- that the grandma gets to meet the baby whenever she wants. We can't say no. Do what you want to do. And if you want to be in bed, be in bed. You don't owe anyone anything. Right, it's true. And I wrote an article for Caveller like later that how I was heavily medicated on Quantitin during Mason's breath because I had already started to become a mess. How many days old is he when a breast cap? So it's eight days. So it's very soon after you get home from the hospital. And I think I was in the hospital for three days or four days. So five days later, it's true. You have to do what is best for you and your husband and your baby. Your unit. Your little unit. Exactly. My sister's bris was just immediate family and a few close friends. And it was lovely, but I didn't know any better. If I ever went on to have a second child, I would have done things a lot differently. I was already a mess and I knew something was wrong. I was lucky. I always say that I was lucky because I knew something was wrong. And my mom, who is a therapist by second career, was staying with us. And I promised myself that it was the day after we got home from the hospital 
that I was going to just like summon up all my courage and tell her something was wrong. And as I was about to, she cornered me and she said, Jennifer, because everyone calls me Jennifer when I'm like in trouble or like something's off. And she said, Jennifer, what's going on? She had already seen the light switch go off, but she knew. And I guess my husband had already said something to her. So I was lucky because she said something to me and that started us on a long journey to get help and treatment and figure out what was going on. Because when you don't know about this stuff, you don't know what to do and it takes time to figure it out. Had she seen you crying just at random? I remember crying when I woke up in the morning. I mean, I was hysterical. I would be hysterically Mm -hmm. sobbing and Trey would say, what is wrong? And I was like, I'm not sure. I just feel it's so hard to describe. So how would you describe the emotions, the feelings that you had? I feel like I just wanted to sleep. I think my mom saw me not wanting to get out of bed and do things. And like my husband will tell you, like if he has one memory of that time, it's Jen in bed. Trey would tell you the same thing. Right? I just wanted to sleep and I had paralyzing, crippling anxiety that I've had panic attacks, you know, here and there in the past, like when I moved into my first apartment in Manhattan, like looking back, I remember times where I was like in a little bit of a funk, like when my parents got divorced or like a certain points in college, but this was like an elephant, like sitting on your chest, I would fall asleep at night and it would wake me up in the middle of the night, like at the same time, like clockwork. And so the crippling anxiety, and then the just wanting to sleep and never get out of bed were really for me, the two main things. The red flag for me, which is when I was about to say something to my mom, was like having thoughts and visions of getting hurt, not fatally hurt, but hurt or sick. So I could go back to the hospital and not have to take care of a baby and everyone could just take care of me. It was one of those, like, what did I just do to my life? What did I just do? And I think on many levels, and one of the questions I get all the time is, how do you know it's more serious, like what we're talking about, or just kind of normal new mom, you know, I can't believe I just did this. I miss my old life. Because I think on some levels, we all have those thoughts when we're up every hour, you know, the baby's crying, things like that. But I think when they impact you not being able to get out of bed, and not wanting to be near your baby or do, you know, everyday tasks, that's when we need to talk about help. People have asked me that too. I mean, they asked me via Instagram message, which I'm Mm -hmm. horrible at responding to and reading through. But I think, you know, when it's bad and you just don't want to admit it. Like the wanting to sleep for me is I just don't want to be in my head. I want to turn it off. I want to escape. I could totally relate to just wanting to go back to the hospital. I'd have gone anywhere to just get away. I wanted to escape what my reality was. So you started therapy after you talked to your mom. Soon after, right. So after I spoke to my mom, we called the OB the next day and I call it sort of a scavenger hunt of like trying to find the right help. So we called the OB and like, I love that you just said, you know, you know, something is wrong. So I was within the first two weeks of postpartum when we went to the OB and she wouldn't diagnose me with anything because it was the first two weeks and it could be the baby blues. And even my mom will tell you like, Yes, it fell within the first two weeks, but the intensity of the symptoms were so intense that there was no way it was just... I remember thinking in the pediatrician's office, 
my pediatrician was wonderful, but she said, give it a few days. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it a few days. As horrible as that sounds, that was what was going through my head because that's how bad I felt. Right, exactly. So she sent me with a prescription of Clonopin. She sent me home. Clonopin was great. The anxiety was so bad, it stopped working after five days. And Clonopin is a strong Strong medicine. And I ran to my regular doctor and he gave me Xanax, rapid release or whatever. It didn't work. We Googled and found like a family therapist. I went to her, sat down. She asked me what I think I could be doing to be a good mom. Never went back, right? And at the time, again, didn't know you need to see a specialist. We'll talk about all the things like you absolutely have to do right away. So I finally just Googled postpartum depression, Charlotte, North Carolina therapy. And one woman's name came up. I called her. It was a Sunday. I left a message. She called me back the next day, fit me in the next day. And that was really what started the path to recovery. Even though it took a long time, when I went to her office for the first appointment, she gave me a list of risk factors to check off. I checked off so many. And that in itself was a little bit of light because you realize that it's not your fault. You did nothing wrong. This is real. I'm not right. going crazy. Right. This I'm is real. Crazy, right. She talked to me about postpartum depression. Postpartum anxiety wasn't really being called that then. So we just really called it postpartum depression. But she talked to me about postpartum depression. So now I had a diagnosis. There were reasons behind it. And I had so many risk factors. And she told me how it happens to one in five women. And she's treated thousands of women like me. And they all get better. And even though I thought I was never getting better, because you remember, you feel like you're going to be in it forever. And it took me a while to believe her. Like I used to sit on the couch thinking she was lying when she told me it's going to get better. But knowing that I wasn't alone and that this happened to other people was eye-opening and it was so helpful. And between her and my regular doctor, we got me into a psychiatrist. I started medication, but the first antidepressant wasn't the right one. So I had to wait another four to six weeks for the second one to work, which it was the right one. So it really took almost two months before I was like on what the treatment plan was. And I really believe, and it's a lot of the reason why I do what I do now with motherhood understood that if if I was prepared ahead of time, I couldn't have prevented the postpartum depression. We can't prevent it, but I could have minimized it. And I would have known exactly who to call for help right away. And I would have gotten better faster and missed less milestones in my son's first year because I really wasn't present the entire first six months of his life. And six months was when I started to feel like myself, but it really was at a year where I was like, okay, I think I got this. That's a good point. You say that the first antidepressant wasn't the right one because a lot of women have said to me, should I go on an antidepressant? And I, I don't know, talk to your doctor. It worked for me. I was very lucky that the first one worked for me. But a lot of people, it takes two, three tries to get on the right medication because it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. I ask you what your symptoms of depression were because some people get really sick to their stomach, which I do. I like feel so nauseous and so sick. Other people are crying. Other people are numb. Like It's not a one-size-fits-all thing. It's like any illness. It comes on a spectrum and we have different symptoms. But you mentioned what postpartum depression is and what it is not. And because you do so much work in this space, I'm just curious what you think about that. Well, I think that I now usually say pregnancy and postpartum mental health illnesses, 
clinically, we need to refer to them as perinatal mood and anxiety disorder because it's a spectrum, right? There's all these different ones. And we used to call everything postpartum oppression. So it's kind of like an, like it became an umbrella term. So what happens is you don't necessarily feel depressed in the sense that you're like curled up in the fetal position. Right. And so you're like, well, I don't have postpartum depression. I'm anxious, but like all new moms are anxious. Right. And so it's kind of dangerous in that sense because it prevents women from speaking up because they don't know that there are other diagnoses. And so you do and all of this that we're talking about postpartum can also happen in pregnancy. So, right, we have postpartum anxiety, which obviously is more anxious thoughts, more intrusive thoughts. You know, there's postpartum OCD, postpartum bipolar, postpartum psychosis. And postpartum psychosis is the diagnosis where you have women who have those, and not all women do, but that's where you have those visions of maybe you want to hurt yourself or your baby because you're in a psychotic state. On our website, we have the mother's manual for postpartum mental health, and it lists every single diagnosis with every symptom and what to look out for. This way you see what's going on, right? We also have a checklist that you can check off symptoms and hand to your doctor. And it divides them up into the different diagnoses because it's not one size fits all. And depression doesn't always cover what you're feeling. And I actually think that anxiety, well, first of all, even the depression presents more often as irritability and anger and anxiety, even rage than it does depression. So it's confusing. I hate the word depression. I wish we called it something else because I don't feel depressed. It's not like, I feel like a depressed person's like sulking or moping and bummed and in a bad mood. It's like, so not like that. That's not the experience. Right. And my sign even now, because we can talk about this, but like, COVID has made me feel like I have postpartum depression all over again. The warning sign for me is the bed. I don't want to get out of bed. And I feel that so much since COVID And I know you, and this is a thing that irritates me. I am the same exact way. I don't want to get out of bed when I'm depressed. And that is construed as laziness. You are one of the hardest working people. You grind your ass on motherhood understood. You're not a lazy, want to be in bed all day type of person. Right. And that's the thing too, with mental illness in general, like we don't want to feel like this. Right? I'm not being I lazy and I want to nap. Right. I don't want a fucking nap. Right. I want to be up I, and have energy and be alive, but I'm sick. Right. I want to be up. I want to do a workout, do my work, prep a healthy dinner, even read a book, whatever it is. Right. We don't want to feel like this. You know, it's not necessarily a choice and we're doing what we can to try to combat it, but it's sometimes it's hard. And sometimes the only way to combat it is to let it happen and be in the bed, which is hard when you have point. other responsibilities going on. I think that one of the things, and again, I was lucky because I had help. We had my mom and my mother-in-law and we had a part-time nanny and, you know, and things like that. And my husband's job was fairly flexible, but I could lay in the bed and I could give the time to feel the feelings. Not all people can do that, right? Like we have kids to take care of if our partners have to go back to work right away, it's complicated. And if that's your situation, I would say reach out and get help. Don't be embarrassed about it. Don't push through it. Because like you said, sometimes you just need to feel the feelings and see a specialist to get through it. But just pushing on and hammering through, it's not going to work. No, especially with this, it's going to come back, right? It's going to come back to you somehow. And moms need to be happy and healthy and whole for their kids. Yeah, a lot of this is me, 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 mom, mom, mom. But 
what people need to realize is when mommy is good, the whole family is good. Like right. mom is a pillar of this unit and it's for the babies that she wants to feel good. Right. Right. My therapist used to say when mom goes down, the whole ship goes down. Like we need to <sighs> get so mom true. help and support regardless of what that looks like. And, you know, my husband came to therapy with me for one session, which I highly advise to take your husband to therapy with you or your partner to therapy with you. If it's virtual now, have them on the virtual call. But it's helpful for a professional to explain to them what you're going through, especially if, you know, you were like me, like I didn't have the energy to like tell people what was happening I mean, now, I mean, you could even download our checklist and like check it out and just yeah. like hand it, and hand it to someone. That's why we made it because it's just like, it's hard to articulate the words and you're tired and exhausted and you don't want to keep talking about it anyway. But yeah, Absolutely. no, I, two things I think that are really helpful as far as if you're suffering is one, yes, you need to find a therapist who specializes in pregnancy and postpartum mental health illnesses and you need your partner to be part of the treatment and part of the plan. And a lot of that is, yes, have your therapist talk to him. I also always recommend the book, The Postpartum Husband by Karen Kleiman, because it's good for them. It's just good for them to read and be aware because our partners... I've heard the best things about this book. Yes. I, have, I did not read it, but I have heard amazing <clears throat> things. Well, and also too, I think if we're talking about partners, like they, they want us to be happy and they want us to feel good. And if they're men, men are fixers. They want to help and there is nothing they can do besides be supportive and wait, right? Because right. for some of us, this takes weeks. For some, it takes months. For some, it takes years. And so they want to know what they can do. And often, and we have a cheat sheet for partners on our website too. That's such a good idea. It lists what they should never say. And it also lists what you can say and do to be supportive because it's really all you can do. It's all you can do and try to understand. Even if you have no idea what it feels like, trust that this shit is real. I so badly wanted Trey to understand how I felt because I had this fear of, he just thinks I'm lazy. I don't want to get up every hour, which he says all the time. I never thought these things. I believed you the whole time. You're all in your fucking head, but what else? Yeah. Is but I thought he just thinks I'm like wanting my old life. But that's not it. I don't want my old life back. I want to be a mom. I'm happy to be a mom. I just feel really fucking off in my head. And having a checklist of what to say and what not to say, like simple things like that just would have been so helpful. I want to hear about what you have created since you came out on the other side. So when I was suffering, I got really angry that no one talked to me about maternal mental health, doctors, other moms. I almost felt betrayed in a sense that I wasn't prepared. And I knew in some way I wanted to make it better for moms that came after me when I get better. And I didn't know what that looked like, but I knew I had to share what I was going through because the other thing I did too, when I was sick was I would Google and look for stories by other moms. I did that too. With really raw and intimate details of what they were feeling when they got better. And I couldn't find anything. Everything I found was really surface. Yes. And other things I read, like I read Brooke Shields book, but she had postpartum OCD, so I couldn't relate to that. No, so I couldn't find myself in anything and I couldn't find these raw, intimate details. So I promised myself somehow I would share them when I got better. So when Mason was about two and a half, I just launched a blog. I launched a blog called The Medicated Mommy and I just started sharing my story and I started sharing those raw, intimate details the thoughts I had when I got home from the hospital, how the light went out, you know, down to 
how I found the therapist, all about the medications I took to get better, how I quit breastfeeding, you know, all these things, how I knew I was getting better. And what happened was game-changing for me. People started sending messages. You know, I launched an Instagram account called The Medicated Mommy at first, and people started sending DMs and commenting and emailing and commenting on blog posts. Just, this happened to me, me too, me too, me too. And what was so crazy was just how many people could relate. And I want to say about a year and a half, two years into that, it wasn't about me anymore. You know, I had fully shared my story. I started writing for other places like Scary Mommy and Huff Post and article for Cavella about like being highly medicated at your breast. It just wasn't about me anymore. And so I kind of decided to turn it into a platform and that became Motherhood Understood, which I've been doing that now for about two and a half years. And it's really just transformed into this big platform and community. And I call it a story sharing hub also for women affected by pregnancy and postpartum mental health illnesses. And, you know, we do several things. The thing I love most is we share other women's stories now. So I don't blog anymore. I let women submit their stories of their postpartum and pregnancy mental health struggles. And we publish one story a week. And it's not like a process where, you know, I reject and things like that. Everyone's story gets published. It's just the order I get the stories in. I'm never at a loss for content. You know, I, right now I think I have stories through the end of September. You know, like there's always stories coming in. And what's so powerful is that the comments that you get on the stories are always so supportive. And there's so many women who are like, did I write this myself? I could have written this. Is this woman in my head? Yeah. So the stories have become really powerful. And I really think that the stories are how we kind of beat the stigma and shame and get more women the help they need. So we share the stories. You know, we post, I don't want to say controversial, but like pretty bold and blunt little quotes and snippets on Instagram, which is how I really started. It was just, you know, little thoughts and things in my head that turned out to really resonate with women and who were like, oh my God, I'm thinking that too, but we're too afraid to say it out loud. And then we've really also just tried to become a place of education and resources. So This year, I revamped the website and I launched a lot of resources. Like I said, we have what's called the Mother's Manual for Postpartum Mental Health. We have the Mama First Checklist for Postpartum Mental Health. And we have other guides, which I call cheat sheets, antidepressants. There's one for partners. There's one for the different diagnoses. And I also was supposed to launch something in May for Maternal Mental Health Week, but then COVID happened. And so I won a grant last October and in the middle of September, I'm going to launch our YouTube channel and it's going to be a video hub. It's launching with 18 videos and it breaks pregnancy and postpartum mental health down into two to five minute videos of literally pregnancy depression, pregnancy anxiety, information for partners, information for families, how to talk to your doctor, you know, and you can download the checklist at the end of it. So yeah, I ended up becoming this huge support system for women in this kind of one niche area of maternal mental health, which is not getting the attention it needs. And I'm floored by the way it took off. I'm grateful. I'm doing the work and the, you know, leading this community makes me feel seen. It's really cathartic, you know, selfishly, it's Absolutely. really cathartic. No, I, I get it. That's why, I mean, that's why I started doing what I did is because right. like you said, the story sharing breaks down the stigma, right? The exactly. story sharing lets us all come together and heal. I've met some really incredible 
women who I feel like I wouldn't have met otherwise. And I feel like if we lived in the same city, we'd be like hanging out all the time, yes, you know? And I and wish we did. Right, I know, <laughs> me too. And we met over Instagram, which I could say actually about a lot of close mom friends right I now. I know, over I have more Instagram friends than real life friends. Me For too. Sure. And I will say the most powerful part of motherhood understood is we got so many DMs and emails saying that I run one of your posts or I run one of your stories or your campaign, you know, this past two weeks is what made me tell my husband I'm suffering or is what made me pick up the phone and call the therapist or is what made me take the antidepressant prescription that's been sitting on my nightstand for two weeks. Even if I just did that for one woman, I feel like I did my job. That's what's been so amazing. And it's crazy because I'm sure you feel similar too. But like if you told the Jen that was lying in bed crying, you know, binge watching The Good Wife, highly medicated, but couldn't get out of bed to go take care of her baby, that this is where... I would be right now. I would be like, are you going to make me cry? No, but it's true. You, I'm sure you feel the same way. Like, did you really think you'd be on a podcast, you know, talking to all different women, high profile women, you know, things like that? No, because I like to say that because for all the women right now in it, and I can't imagine being in it right now. And I I do want to talk about it with COVID a little bit too. Absolutely. But being in it, you feel like you're going to be in that dark tunnel forever. And that is such a lie that your mind is telling you. I remember driving home from the doctor and I looked out at these people going into a restaurant and I felt so sick. I felt like I was going to throw up because that's some, when I'm very anxious, I might feel physically sick. I looked at those people and in my head, I thought I will never be able to do that again. Like that was the truth. That was just a fact. I am done with like going out to eat. I don't know what my mind was telling me, but I thought this is my life now. I couldn't remember what it was like before, but I knew that this was forever. And I was so wrong. And if you're listening and you feel like shit right now, it is temporary and it will pass. I promise. It will. And it needs help, right? It needs help and it will pass faster with help. And again, I can't stress enough the therapist who specializes in pregnancy and postpartum mental health illnesses. I always tell people a great place to start is postpartum support international call their helpline. They will help you find someone local. You know, you go to postpartum.net, I think, or postpartumsupport.net, and there's a number in the corner on the top right. And it also will pop, it's going to pop up in front of you in a box too. And they will help you find a local specialist. You can also DM me anytime. I don't always know local specialists, but I know lots of people in lots of cities that I can ask. So I have started kind of keeping a master list just, you know, when I get those questions, but it it will, it gets better, but it needs help. And for me, and I'm super open about this, the combination of the antidepressants and the talk therapy is what got me better. I can't stress enough the combination. And if it's, you know, medication is something you're worried about, please talk to your doctor. You know, there are doctors who are not trained in this. And so they might tell you, no, you can't take medication here, or you can't do this, or you shouldn't do this. Let's find you a new doctor. And you can get this on our antidepressant cheat sheet, but there are psychiatric consult lines that your doctor can call to find more out about medication if they don't know. So That's awesome. And we have to remember doctors are people, right? Doctors are not the right. end all be all gods who right. know the answer. A lot right. of doctors are not educated no, on maternal mental health. Exactly. And so I want to say it's fairly new. There's not enough of them yet. And hopefully more and more are going to become, but reproductive or a perinatal psychiatrist, those are great resources because they are the ones who are specifically trained in 
this stuff and maternal mental health and medication. But yeah, no, it's hard. And also too, I think right now with COVID and I'm totally segueing into COVID, but- Oh, I would love to talk about that. Because of COVID and because everything has gone inside, there really are more maternal mental health resources accessible than ever before right now because of telehealth. So people in other states, you know, they've relaxed, I guess, regulations. So you can maybe even see somebody through telehealth that you would not have been able to see regularly. So the accessibility right now to find a specialist is even a little easier. And so I, I can't stress enough the therapy. Absolutely. I think that COVID has brought a lot of issues, especially with women to light. I think men are finally seeing what women do all day in the home as a stay-at-home mom. And I think women, they're needing to take back some of their power in order to just survive in this time because they can't be a mother, a teacher, a wife, and a worker. It's just impossible. It's humanly impossible. Talk to me about your COVID experience because you said it reminded you of postpartum depression. It has. Really, when it first happened, you know, it's like, okay, two weeks, like it's going to be like, we'll be, you know, quarantined for two weeks and that'll be two months. And now I can't believe we're almost at six months now. It's so crazy. So for me, my husband went to, still goes to work every day. He didn't work from home. So I was home all day with Mason, just the two of us. And, you know, we were in the process of moving to a house. So we were in an apartment, you know, and I know people live in small spaces, but it was small space, you know, not a lot of places to go. And for me, I felt like I had postpartum depression all over again. And I think that this was a kind of a common feeling. You're isolated at home, can't really go anywhere. You're responsible for every little need for a tiny human because you're now schooling them, right? If they're older, you're schooling them too. So that time where they would leave you has been taken. And even now too, I think the two emotions that I have felt the most since COVID started are depression and rage. Like simultaneously, I always think in my head, how can you feel like that depression and sadness and that rage, anger so simultaneously? That's how we met Bumble Baby Kate. Mm -hmm. She posted something about, Rage is something women are embarrassed by, right? Women are supposed to be kind, sweet, quiet, loving women. No, rage is nothing to be embarrassed about. It is a common symptom of depression and it's a common and completely normal emotion, especially in circumstances. Oh my God, I have had so much rage and so much not wanting to get into bed. I mean, like, you know, and, and we joke, you know, I have a friend who dropped her son off at college this past weekend and, you know, we have a camp empowerment, like, you know, group text that we do and, someone was like, I know it's hard. Like you drop them off, you know, to be on their own. And I responded, I go, I want someone to drop me off somewhere to be on my own. Amen. I feel so much also for all the women who are pregnant right now and having babies or are in postpartum. And so like for us, we felt robbed of our motherhood experiences, right? Like postpartum depression and all those things robbed us of the way it was supposed to be But even more so now, you know, you're being robbed of your baby shower. You're being robbed of being celebrated as a mom or, you know, depending on how you quarantine and, you know, what you're comfortable with, you're being robbed of your baby meeting their grandparents. Or maybe you did have a baby nurse or a postpartum doula or something and they can't come. There's all these... Or a horror story, your partner can't come. You had to go in and do it alone and you have to wear a mask and... 
it's scary and it's not fair and there's no solution. There's no, except to say it's unfair and it sucks. And I, right, right. We want to fix it and we can't fix it. We can't wait. It's unfair and it sucks and it's okay to grieve it and feel robbed because it is, it's not fair. And we don't know when it's going away. And I think that was the other thing too, with the, with COVID and it still is maybe a little less so because I've started doing things. Like I've gone out to, to restaurants a few times. We sit out, Side. Yeah. You know, my son is going to camp and his school is opening and I'm sending him and I'm comfortable with that. And I think right now everybody, you know, you do what your comfort barometer is, right? And whatever and you you're don't judge with other people okay. who are making it, a different decision because you right. don't know their situation. Right. Exactly. No, it's true. Exactly. And I think that the anxiety, though, a couple of months ago and even now, like of not knowing when this is going to end, if it's going to end. I was hoping just, we weren't going to have to talk about this because it was not going to be an issue because we booked this a while ago, but right, we're right, still exactly. in the thick of it. Right. It, I want to see my family, right? Like I wanted, my sister has an eight month old. He started crawling yesterday. She lives in Newport, California. My sister-in-law is pregnant with her second and she's in LA, you know, and I'm hoping in December, you know, when she's due and Max turns one, like we can go and do these things, yeah. but who knows? So I think it's just for me, don't want to get out of bed. I know. Like, I feel it. I like, love that you. I love that you say that though, because you're somebody who has built this incredible community, this incredible organization. You've come out on the other side of awful depression, but you're never immune to it. What are your coping skills right now, and what have you taken in from your postpartum period to COVID? Like, what are you doing to try so to of, stay whole? So one of the things I do is I do try to let myself feel the feelings when I feel them. If I feel like I should come home. Like, so my son is at camp this week. And if I feel like, well, I should come home and I should be productive and do something, but I'm really feeling shitty or I just feel depressed. I get in bed and I lie in bed. If he's home and I need to do that, sometimes I just give him the iPad and I say, Hey buddy, you want to play on the iPad? And of course it's like, yes, mommy, you know, whatever. I do those things because I know ultimately they'll benefit me and him. Yes, Jen, I love that you're saying this. (laughs) Well, it's true. I also, I try to be really honest with my husband and he can see it like he, cause the bed, right? Like he knows the triggers too, but I try to be honest with my husband. Like, Hey, this is how I feel today. Or like, I'm sorry if I'm going to, I'm probably going to snap at you later. Yeah. I also binge a lot of TV and I know some people would call that escapist, but like for me, I have always movies, TV books. I love stories. I mean, I guess that's why I share them, but that for me helps. I'm not regular, like I don't do it regularly. I want to, but the energy levels, but I have tried to do yoga or some type of Peloton or like some type of movement. Mm-hmm. Movement helped. And I will say that when I had postpartum depression and I had the crippling anxiety, I would walk laps around my cul-de-sac at my, where I used to live. And the, the yes. movement, so mm-hmm. for any moms who are anxious, even if you have to throw that baby in the stroller or, or strap them to you, you're mentally checked out, but you could walk. The movement helps. Also, I like gratitude journals where you write down five things you love, five things that are just working and two things that you're grateful for. And if you do that, someone gave me this exercise once. And if you do that for 30 days, it really helps change the wiring in your brain. And it's true. I did it in a period where I was very much like, woe is me and everything's going wrong. And it was like a miraculous change. I also learned this from Dr. Lakshman. She's a reproductive psychiatrist where you have worry time. So pick 30 minutes, like a day, and that's when you're allowed to worry. Maybe you write it down in a journal or whatever, but like once that 30 minutes is over, you're done. 
And oh, like shit. if a new worry pops in, <laughs> right. But if a new worry pops in, you're like, okay, I'll worry about that tomorrow. It does something to your brain, right? You're able to compartmentalize it. Yeah. Like, oh, I will worry about that, but later. And then the other (laughs) thing too, no, it's true. And then the other thing too, I will say is just two things. One, minimize your news intake right now, really minimize your news intake. And if you like, you need to like read something about COVID and be an instance or something, pick like one or two, you know, reputable sources. God, yes. Pick the pediatrician that you know. Yes. Who's giving information or, you know, someone like Dr. Lachman or... Dr. Sri Rahman, who's a pediatrician and, and post, you know, limit yourself to that. Be really, really mindful of the social media, you know, like accounts like mine and Kristen's, like we keep it really real. So we might make you sad. We might make you laugh. Those are good. And then also the other thing, I have like a little quarantine crew in Charlotte where at first we weren't doing things with anyone, right? Like mm-hmm. we were all, everything was closed, whatever. There's two other couples and their kids we do things with. Even if it's just by FaceTime or text message, you need a little tribe right now. Yes. It could be, you know, people you already know. It could be, you know, your mom friends, your college friends, whatever it is, just have a little, even if it's one or two other people that you could just text or FaceTime with, you know, to vent or to just say, I did this. I have a friend, I joke, she always makes me feel better. She's the one I texted. I just gave my son ADHD on the iPad. And she's like, oh, my daughter's been a screen junkie this whole week. We're moving. And, you know, it's, or I say like, I want to take a nap, but I'm building a Lego. You know, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. I'd rather be napping. She goes, me too. But I woke up at 10 a.m. And I was like, I woke up at 10 a.m. You make me, you know what I mean? It's just. But this is why I love you is because there is still, especially in social media world, there is so much like guilt and shame and embarrassment and judgment and all this bullshit, awful negativity around things like giving your kid an iPad, letting them watch another Disney movie, getting in bed when you really should be doing something else. And if you're in bed all day, every day, you know that that's not what you want to be doing and you get help. But I so am on board with like the other day, I was not in a deep, awful depression, but I wasn't feeling it and I did not want to do it. And I got in bed and I took a nap. And when I woke up, I was like rejuvenated, right? So that's not somebody in a deep depression hole. That's just me being in a funk, low energy, whatever. Get yourself together and don't feel bad about it. Right. Admit it and talk about it and find the people you can talk about it with. I'm like, I will leave you with this. So probably like two months ago, we were watching, we were up late and Crazy Rich Asians was on, which is like one of my favorite movies. (laughs) And I was trying to fall asleep. But of course I stayed up to watch the end, but the scene where they break up and she's like at Aquafina's house, lying in bed for four days in the darkness, not answering her phone. Somebody leaves a tray of food every day and checks on her. I looked at my husband and I go, I want that. I go, I know she's kind of in the middle of a nervous breakdown. And I said this to my sister who has an eight month old and and friend. I said, I want that. I'm like, that looks like a vacation to me. I realized that she's going through a breakup and having a nervous breakdown, but I want to lie in bed for four days in the dark and have someone leave a tray of food for me and have someone leave a tray of food and maybe I'll eat it and maybe I won't. (laughs) But like, that's what I wanted to do there. Right. That's what I want to do right now. And I think it's okay to feel like that. It's okay to feel like that. It doesn't mean you don't love your kids. It doesn't mean you're a bad mom. It means you're human and you're trying to do too much. So let yourself chill. And if somebody offered me that opportunity, I would take it. I'm not even just talking about it, right? Like if someone said to me, you could go lie in for your, everyone will be fine. I would go do it. I hear you and I love you and I cannot believe an hour has already passed, but I I am so appreciative for you sharing your story. 
and for what you've built because the foundation of motherhood understood is women sharing their stories and postpartum depression is not a new thing. It's happened since the very beginning of time, but women who had it in the very beginning of time were shunned because nobody's talking about it. You're a pioneer and I love you. And I'm so grateful for you because it was people like you who helped me get out of awful place. I'm glad I could do that for you. No, absolutely. Will you tell people where they can find you and connect with you? Yes. So our website is motherhood-understood.com. You can also find us on Instagram at motherhood understood as one word with no dash. And on our website, you'll find our Get Answers page, which has the manual and the checklist and the cheat sheets I talked about. We also have an online support community that you can find there too. And we also have the stories that you can read from other women. And there is also a place where you can submit your own. And then probably mid-September, we're going to be launching our video hub called Maternal Mental Health in Minutes. And me too. It's going to be a long time coming. And we're also going to be launching a one-on-one postpartum mental health planning service. So if you and your partner during pregnancy want to create a postpartum mental health plan, so think birth plan, but more for you after so you have everything in place. You don't need a birth plan. It's going to happen how it's yeah, going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> so we can control certain things postpartum. We're going to be launching that too. Oh, good. Yes. Nothing like that exists. Why the fuck right. does nothing like that exist? I don't. So hopefully I don't know, but Jen's creating. it will take off. Yes, hopefully it will take off and people will want it so we can continue doing it. 